This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today you guys are in for a real treat. I have the boss, the boss of so many things, neurosurgeon in chief, Dr. Salim Adaroff, and he is going to talk about his latest book, and this is his latest book. So if you Google his name, you're going to see other documents and maybe some scholarly works he's put together. This book is called Three Invaders, and he's going to talk to us about the conflict and possibly the solution as he sees it in the Middle East. Dr. Abaroff, how are you doing? Uh, very well. Thank you for having me, uh, Kellen. Thank you for coming on. And, and let's get right into it. I just want to be a student because the book hasn't come to me yet. Uh, your publicist is like, did you get the book? I'm like, no, I'm waiting for it. But I'm, I'm definitely interested. So give us, you know, why did you take a time out of your busy schedule as a neurosurgeon, the chief, to come write this book? Uh, thank you, Kellen. Uh, the reason I wrote this book, uh, because I have been intrigued by this topic uh, uh, as I grew up. Uh, you know, I grew up in America's Midwest, a beautiful part of the United States, a very traditional part of America. But also have an ethnic background that goes back to the Arabian Peninsula, to the western part of that part of the uh, peninsula, which is... Uh, where the historic uh, holy sites are for the inception of the, re uh, the religion of Islam. That's my ethnic background and uh, America is my home and where I grew up. So I've always interacted with that world uh, growing up, uh, you know, seeing what's going on and how it's covered by the media. And then I came across this, uh, this situation where there, the politicians and the people in the media, uh, no matter how smart they are, have not been able to come up with a solution for the larger problems. So I said, here I am, a neurosurgeon who treats life and death problems. I have developed some treatments that are unique for very complex problems. I actually have a surgical procedure that's named after me. I have surgical instruments that are named after me. I said, why not let's give somebody else a chance? We've given the chance to the politicians, to the media pundits, but you know we've had no solution. So I ask you, the public, give me a chance. Give me a chance to break down this problem and provide some novel solutions. Because if we had great uh, uh, treatments or cures, I would not be talking. But the issue is, give somebody from outside the box the opportunity to really break down this issue and to provide some potential solutions because I have done that in another world, in my wor world of being a neurosurgeon. Uh, I ask that you give me a chance to do it in this issue as well. Oh, no, and that's awesome. And give somebody of another color a chance to describe what is going on who has some relation. Because you know what trips me out about dealing with politics is your ambassadors 
you know, 95% are white males of whether it's the Middle East, Africa, Asia, you know, Asia sometimes does a better, better job, but give somebody, you know, who actually has family there and can understand the culture, speak the language, understand that a fork and a spoon isn't needed for your best meals, that your hands are a great thing, you know, in most of the world. So break down like some of those solutions, how you see it. Yeah, so, uh, you, you know, Kellen, the way I look at it is this, uh, as a surgeon, as a doctor, if you have a dirty wound and it's covered up, first, you've got to take the uh, dirty dressing off. You have to peel it off. When you peel it off, it may hurt, but we have to peel it off to, to clean the wound and to dress it right. So the, the way I have developed this book organically, first I'm peeling off that dirty dressing. Then at the later part of the book, I'm gonna provide how we deal with these situations. The peeling off of the dressing is putting everything on the table. One of the problems we've had in the world, uh, in the West especially, that we have never understood the problem. The, the whole concept is you cannot treat a problem unless you know what it is. I cannot treat a disease unless I know what it is. The problem is we have never understood the problem. We have never understood the disease and for political reasons. And then everybody in the pundits and the politicians saying, okay, this is my cure for the problem. This is my solution. Well, what is the problem? You have never told me what the problem is. Can you put that on the table? The reason that has never been told to us because there are a lot of political interests who don't want us to understand it fully. Uh, and it has really affected the public uh, in a way. I mean, this has been one of the greatest injustices in the last hundred years that we have had such bias uh, in such misunderstanding of cultures and people that has gone to serve the interests of, uh, of uh, certain groups to make sure that people do not understand. And that's really part of the issue. One of the main things I bring out in every chapter of his, his book, why this, uh, this book is really very connected. This book is not just about history. It's three things, history, political sciences, and popular culture. Every chapter in the book connects to popular culture. Every chapter in the book gives an example of a Hollywood movie that is done for all of us to really look at a, another group of people with prejudicial eyes. You know, we've had a history in America where American Indians and Americans of African descent have been the victims of such prejudice for a long time, uh, perhaps from the inception of the nation. Over the last hundred years, we have seen this really turn towards people of Arabic and Muslim background in, a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing way that most people do not realize. Uh, it has been done in the background. It is really done in a way that you don't think about it, but it's, uh, it's there and it's uh, organic. And so what I'm doing is really bringing that story out. I'm gonna really explain it now, it's just my opinion, but I'm giving you original sources uh, to really for people to understand how this happened stepwise. Unless we understand that, we will never understand our own biases. All of us have these biases inherent in us. 
whether you watch uh, Aladdin uh, movie and uh, you saw the background of these people who are very vicious and violent, and as a child, you think you start believing that may be true. Kellen, let me tell you, when I was a little boy, I thought that American Indians were bad people, okay? Why did I think that American Indians were bad? Because I was watching Western movies, and they're always the bad, violent people. I, I, growing up in America's Midwest, uh, a guy with brown color, believed the American Indians were bad, okay? So, so when we played, you know, Indians, cowboys, I always wanted to be the cowboy. I never wanted to be the Indian, okay? The question is why? See, that's a great example of what I'm trying to create. If as a child you grow up believing certain set of facts, it affects the, 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 the optic, how you look at the world. And it affects everything. When you see something on TV, you know, there's a concept we say confirmation bias. You believe what you want to believe. What is it you want to believe? You believe what you have been told all your life. So when you see something, see, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. That makes sense. These are the, so that's the, what I'm disclosing in this book. I'm just disclosing in a way it has never been done before. And uh, I really want people to give me a chance to understand a world that they have met, may have seen differently, but now see it in a way that breaks it down how they saw it all their life and why. And, and you're using, um, I believe, the scientific method. So you're going to take it step by step. Now, I have to throw this out because there'll be, I can already hear, I'm a theologian who says, hey, the problem in the Middle East is the problem that started with, you know, Hagar and Sarai. They're going to blame the women first, um, you know, and that that's the issue because we can see it in the scriptures, but then you'll have someone on, you know, who might be a Muslim who will say, actually is they flip Isaac and Ishmael, right? Because in the Quran, it's one way. And then in the, the Bible, it's another. And so then you have a whole nother problem. And even in the Quran, it only implies, I know people, you're going to say, it never says it in the Quran, Kellen. It implies that it's different than what the Bible is. But how biblical do you go in the book and try to tap into that? Yeah. So Kellen, uh, just to upfront, I'm no uh, religious scholar. I'm not a theologian. But the ideas of religion play an important part in this conflict, especially Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There has been a lot of interaction that affects the world we live in today. So I do touch on that topic. But what is one of the most uh, intriguing things that uh, the misnomers that exist in our culture today, you will hear a lot of uh, politicians say, well, these people have been fighting each other for hundreds of years, meaning Muslims and Jews, and they've been killing each other. But that is not true, Kellen. For, for 1,400 years, most, in this book you will see, Muslims have been protecting Jews from Christian extremists uh, for 1,400 years in Europe, in North Africa, in Palestine. And, and I provide all the examples of what that protection was. You know, when Spain had the Inquisition, and they wanted to uh, convert all the Jews or to kick them out. It was a Muslim Ottoman Empire that brought Jews, sent ships to Morocco and Palestine so they can live safely. So this idea that Muslims and Jews have been fighting each other uh, is a political line taken by extremist uh, religious scholars 
It is not true at all. This is only recent, just the last hundred years. So I think it's very important people not to fall in for these policies that exist. And I provide the evidence for all of this that has done, uh, you know, for, for, for a long time. So yes, the religious angle is hard to avoid in writing a book like this, but I explain the religious, uh, you know, thing, not from a religious standpoint, but from a really objective standpoint to really explain what these relationships were and how, what the interaction was among the various people that led us uh, to today. And how, so if you don't go the religious route and it's more the historical and political route and everything that he said, folks, is is true. If you're like, I've never heard that, just go do your research. That means you haven't done your research fully. You can even see a place like Ethiopia used to be so peaceful, all religions. In most places, all religions were welcomed, but it's always something political, which means money <laughs> that, you know, pulls in a, a war. So in talking about the politics of it you go talk about how you know um so-called israel how it was stolen from the original people um you know and i say stolen because it's one thing to merge cultures it's another thing to tell people you can't come on this side of the gaza strip anymore or you need id and you don't have rights and we're gonna we're trying to take over or take over your ports so do you go that route and kind of show the injustice because to me that was done you know not the right way. Well, uh, this issue, there is a major chapter about Israel-Palestine in this book that explains this issue in a way it's never been explained before. Truly, objectively, I'm taking, you know, I'm not taking sides. I'm really looking at it from an objective standpoint. The truth is this. Uh, Jews underwent tremendous discrimination and persecution in Europe for hundreds of years. So they, they have rightly looked at solutions to solve their problem. And I fully understand that. The problem is religious extremists, the uh, you know, Christian uh, Zionists uh, had another agenda and that was really based on interpretations of the Bible that were new. Remember the interpretations of the Bible, once the Bible was translated to English, this was a new Christianity in Western Europe that had never been for over a thousand years. Bible was written in Greek and it was uh, scholars who were looking at it. None of those scholars for a thousand years talked about a Zionist idea, a Christian Zionism. The term never existed for a thousand years in Christianity. I mean, uh, so that, that is a new idea that was created uh, after the Bible was translated to English in England and then through England, through the creation of America, came to the United States. So that idea, it was really the inception of that, of the pressure of that, came from extremist Christian Zionists. It actually didn't come from Jews. It came from extremist Zionists. And if you look at the data from early part of the 20th century, most Jews in America and Europe were opposed to having a Jewish state in Palestine. And I showed, so they were not buying this idea, okay? So this was not as we look at it today. That was not the idea because they didn't understand what was going on. So, so, uh, so over time, things obviously changed once it became a, a reality on the ground. But if you look at it factually, this is, a, I, this is a religious extremist idea 
came from extremist Christian Zionists who really, uh, who kind of manipulated some of the language in the Bible once it was translated to English and created new concepts that never existed at the time of Jesus or for a thousand years after him. So I think people need to understand this because if you don't understand it, you believe everything that's going on. And a lot of Jewish scholars with whom I spoke to during writing this book, they agree with me 100%. They get it. They actually get it 100%, okay? Even the name when the Jewish state was created, name of Israel was one of many names they were looking at. They sat in Tel Aviv, a small committee. They said, okay, should we name it Palestine? Should we name it this? Should we name it Israel? And only by a vote did they come up with this name. So the idea that people conflate the name Israel with what they read in the Bible is a very convenient issue for many, many people. And uh, people need to understand uh, the Philistines in the Bible and the Israelis of the Bible have nothing to do with the current Palestine and Israelis, okay? The, the Philistines have nothing to do with the Palestinians and Israel of the Bible has nothing to do with the current state of Israel. It is totally different thing. It is manufactured and it's important to understand where that comes from. This is one of the greatest stories of the last hundred years and people just need to understand it. Yeah, they need to make more movies, factual movies with, you know, that topic and, and that history, because that seems to be, at least in America, how people consume most of the information since reading, I guess, is out of style for many. Do you go at all? Because, you know, when we talk about the Bible, and we talk about, you know, there's 12 tribes and those tribes don't all look alike. That's the thing that in America, it's kind of hard for people to understand. But do you talk about Operation Moses or Operation Solomon to talk how Israel went and grabbed Ethiopians, you know, um, black and brown people to bring them to Israel because they saw them as part of, you know, being of their um, culture, their and their religion. And, and when they study the, the books, I've been to Ethiopia, <laughs> they're actually, you know, sometimes more uh, Jewish than what some Jewish in Israel are. So do you tap into those at all? Yeah, I know that's a great history of the creation of the modern state of Israel. And, you know, they've had some great scholars and thinkers who've really thought through this. And the 12 uh, tribes come from the 12 uh, sons uh, of uh, Jacob. And, uh, and essentially, it's a historical idea uh, that uh, goes back a long time. Scientifically, how you connect that to the real world we live in, I think even Jewish scholars really will debate that in a big way. I think when you bring up Africa, Africa plays a big role in this book, okay? And I want to tell you, uh, Kellen, a very important story. Uh, you know, the question is, most uh, slaves that came to the United States came from Western Africa. I give the data on that. The majority, what I show scientifically in this book, the majority of the people who, who forcibly got on those ships, scientifically I show in this book, came from Muslim families, okay? And, and uh, you know, by the time they got to the American soil, obviously there was forced uh, proselytization and conversions. And I show unique stories. This amazing guy, older man in a jail in North Carolina because he started to run as a slave and he writes in Arabic his story, his family. He came from a proud, big family 
in Western Africa. And he said, I came from a proud family here. I'm being beaten up. And he wrote it in Arabic on a wall. And I tell his story from his own eyes. He represents a large group of African Americans live today who come from him and his families. They come from a very proud Muslim culture in Western Africa. This has never, American historians have really never delved into this. I mean, this is a part of slavery that has been completely omitted. If my data is correct, which I show in this book, and I show all the data by the populations and everything and delved into deeply, that is another interaction between Christendom and Islam that has never been covered, okay? Uh, so uh, what I am, you know, and I, people will, uh, you know, I'm open for discussion. I'm actually claiming in this book that the majority of the millions of African-Americans live in America today. Their ancestors came from Muslim background in Western Africa, just based on math and based on the statistics that existed at the time. Uh, their names were changed, and you will see the data. There is great groups in the United States right now who are working on the, on the databases for slavery in America. If you look at the original names when they're available, you will see the names, okay? You will see what their names were. This has been covered up completely. This is a major cross-section of an interaction of two worlds. Okay, so this is these ideas of uh, you know, you know. So I really get into areas that people never get into. They say it's politically sensitive. We cannot talk about this. Why is it politically sensitive? Why cannot we talk about the roots of African Americans who were forcibly brought to this country? Why is it not okay to know what their background was? Why have even historians not delved into this issue? Okay, to me, that's a very important topic. As I said, if we're gonna take the bandage off and understand it, let's just put it all on the table. There has been, an, uh, we only talk about interactions between uh, these three re great religions and very specific dots. We say, okay, let's talk about it because it was this little region. No, no, no. If you wanna understand it, let's understand it from the larger picture. Really, let's put it on the table, okay? Let's be fair and, uh, and look at it from a larger perspective so that we could truly evaluate what had happened, you know, uh, for, for, from standpoint. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's misunderstood, for example, uh, the Muslim Arab empire ruled Spain for 700 years, okay? And that transformed the history of Spain and Europe. The commander, the Muslim commander, Tariq, who invaded Spain was the first to take a large land in Europe, was an African, okay? And he was a great leader for the Muslim empire. So the history of Islam and how African people led, play, played a key leadership roles is not understood because in other major religions, that's never been the case, okay? It's unique to Islam to have that. Understanding those stories is very important for the reader to understand the world we live in and how we got here. Without knowing that history, you look at it from having blinders on. Well, all I'm asking is take your blinders off for a minute with me in reading this book. And I show you the facts, I show you everything, and I go to original sources, okay? I'm going to original sources, 
not spinned by the mainstream media, not spinned by uh, extremist media, but really truly based on facts that have never been shared by the wider American Western public. Well, you know, you mentioned roots in there and I'm thinking Alex Haley and how he talks about that in the beginning of the book of how, you know, the Muslim origin of, cause they wouldn't touch the pigs, whatnot because of, of the origin. But when going even from the book, then to the movie of roots, it always seems there has to be like many movies, a white savior, even for the black and brown people, wherever, even in, you know, Asia, Tom Cruise is saving them as the last samurai, right? And not even using any type of accent, just it's an American accent, kind of offensive, but that's a whole nother topic. But that having that you're breaking this down, we know that it's not popular because the majority, at least here and in the West, will look at themselves and have to say, what have our ancestors done? How could we pay it back? Nobody likes paying anything back. We see that with the college loan situation. You know, you right. have many friends who are two doctor right. couples and they're a million dollars in debt. How right. do you plan for this book to really transform their mind without having uh, white guilt, which sometimes just has people shut down and bury the book underneath? Like, I don't want the, anyone to see this because they're changing curriculum now in schools of slavery. A, a couple of years ago, they tried to say they immigrated over. I think it was in Texas and it was like immigrated over what? So how do you deal with the psychology of the majority in the West, the the white cock? who has to say you're just saying that you know we we are the problem in the middle east we're the problem in africa and blaming us 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 yeah that's a very good point you know i grew up uh, you know in the american midwest with uh, normal kids uh, you know white black kids families you know a catholic protestant i mean i grew up the normal life okay and i'm going to answer your question and how I started this book is telling a small story, an anecdote. I was a little boy, a bunch of boys went uh, to see the movie Back to the Future. <laughs> and that's uh, a great movie, you know, a generational movie. Everybody loves it. I'm sitting with the kids and you know how we are. And I, we were so excited about this movie. In the middle of the movie, this movie is a science fiction movie set in America's 1950s Midwest. Suddenly out of nowhere, a, 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 an Arab dude shows up as a bad guy, as a terrorist for three minutes, okay? And so I'm sitting next to these kids and one, one of my good friends just pokes me right in my chest. Say, see, see? So although we grew up together, he knew my background. You see, we as kids know those things, okay? He poked me right away. And they, you know, after the movie, were making fun of me. I really felt really bad, Killer. As a child, I felt really bad what does this have to do with anything with this movie, okay? So when you talk about uh, the average American public, the white public, what I want them to know, I grew up in that system, and here I am being portrayed as a child uh, sitting in a movie, uh, uh, you know, in this negative way in a movie that had nothing to do with history or anything. So why did Steven Spielberg, in the middle of the movie, plant that in there? That's what I want the average American person, the white person, as you said, to really think about that for a second. Why we're implanting these ideas in kids growing up, okay? Why are we creating this kind of false narrative, you know, this kind of bias? And, and 
And so that's what I want to reach out to them and say, listen, give me a chance. I'm just going to give me a chance to read this book because we all grew up uh, alike and we all saw this stuff. But I want to tell you how this stuff has affected you throughout your life without you knowing about it. That's what I'm trying to explain in this book. Well, can I say that I remember that because you and I may be um, around the, the same age or that I was going in the future or coming back either way. But I remember that. But that bad guy, if I'm not mistaken, was a Libyan. So that that Arab person and, and then we have to go back to at that time, Gaddafi and how they illegally tried to, you know, they killed one of his kids trying to kill him bombing his house, which was totally illegal. Um, and, and so could that have been the reason why that they were trying to point all Arab uh, and Muslim Africa, we're going to put you as the bad guy. So when we go to war with these guys and try to kill them, you'll have sympathy. Could it be that? I might be stretching. I don't know. Let me know. No, no, no. That's a very good point. It's just a generalization of a people, of a group of people. You see, the whole biggest concept that I'm trying to develop is this. If an Arab or Muslim guy, some bad guy terrorist does a bad thing, we incorporate all Arabs and Muslims and they all have to defend it. When a, uh, a, uh, a white extremist Christian goes and bombs a, a church in the South and kills a bunch of uh, African-American kids, which happened, we only say that's a bad guy. We're not saying all Christians or all white people have to defend this. It's that guy. John Doe is a bad guy. So what the, Hollywood has created is this. For all these other people, for Arabs and Muslims, they're responsible for every crazy guy committing a stupid stabbing in Paris, whatever. When that happens, you all have to defend it because you're all. But when a guy in Austria or New Zealand walks in and kills 50 people in a mosque, we say he's, he's a bad guy. It never reflects, although if you look at his writing, is deeply extremist religious uh, interpretations. That's what it is. His writings are. So what we have created a culture for, for uh, when an extremist terrorist who's white, we say he's individually a bad guy. It reflects on no one else. But when an extremist, crazy Muslim guy does something, all of you Muslims need to defend that. Okay. That narrative is what has created in all of our minds, this idea that certain groups are associated with this or that. That narrative is, is created, is developed as we grow up as children. That is not based on any fact or science, okay? So we cannot uh, legitimize terrorism on one side because what happens, one of those guys does it, it's okay, he had a bad day, he broke up with his girlfriend, whereas one of these guys does it, he's just inherently bad because he is of this background. So. So we have to rethink this to solve these problems. And that's what I'm really trying to say. We have to rethink how we look at these issues. We have been essentially brainwashed in a certain way to think about these things. And if you sit back for a second and look at these issues, you will be surprised of all the things you have believed most of your life. I think you'll be shocked by that. And uh, that is what I'm doing this book, is really asking you to take your hat off, and just give me a chance. And I'm going to explain this to you in a way. And if you're an objective person, you will see that, wow, I really cannot believe what, what I saw. So this is what I'm trying to do.
Is there anything in the book that can help strengthen the African and Middle East uh, relationship? A lot of times when people get into conversations of slavery, somebody will throw in, well, the Arabs did slavery first to Africans, but it wasn't the same kind. I mean, slavery has been around probably since, you know, people... Yeah. give or take have been around but it's not it wasn't the same i mean there's still slavery going on now worldwide whether it's in the middle east africa and asia but it's not the same type of you know some would say cruelty not to say that it's right people no one's saying that that's it's right but is there anything to strengthen that relationship because if we think about it, if africa and the middle east with all of its resources got together and then said india asia we want you guys to join us. Whoever joins us, joins us in this coalition of we're not going to allow our people to be um, used against abused. So whether that means maybe we cut off the West from our oil, from the things that run these cell phones. Is there anything in there that can show that unity? Because I think we really need it uh, amongst minorities you know in this country and for the countries outside of america to say we're going to all come together and act as one we're not going to let the cia and others um you know dictate what goes on politically and cause all this division well kellen uh, let me tell you uh this is a great question about uh, the relationship of africa to the larger so-called the middle east you will know i hate that word the middle east i explain why the Middle East term didn't come from the Middle East. It came from colonialists who created that term as a political term. No person living in the Middle East ever created that term, by the way. But that's a whole other story. When you read the book, you understand it. Uh, so, uh, so slavery existed uh, in the Arab world for, for a long time. And slavery exists even within Africa, where certain African tribes have African slaves. So it's a very long-term situation. In this book, I tell the story, uh, some of the biggest names in Islamic history when Islam came around uh, were Africans, okay? Uh, and it tells the strong relationship between Africans and the whole evolution of, uh, of, uh, of Islam itself. If you look at Malcolm X quotes, when he went to Mecca, and what he said, he said, never in my life, and I'm paraphrasing because I have the quote himself, I'm standing next to people with blue eyes, dark eyes, different colors. Never have I felt the same in my life. This is the first time I've had the same feeling. There is no such separation. So I, I think if you look at it, if you look at, uh, look at any mosques around the world, there are no mosques for white communities and black communities, stuff like that. You go and it's for everybody the same. Unfortunately, in the United States, We've had, you know, let's be for real. We have churches, uh, black churches and white churches. And that has nothing to do with Christianity. It has to do with the people with this crazy uh, extremist minds who've developed that reality in the United States. So we should not be critical of Christianity, but we should be critical of the people who cre created that polarized structure. So... Uh, the, the Arabs are no different from the, the people in Europe or, or the North America about uh, the, 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 the slavery and the bad things. But they are under very strict rule uh, because what happens, uh, and that's what really limits them, in the Quran it states you cannot, if you discriminate based on color, you are going against God. 
So there's a, a specific statement in the Quran, and I quote that specific uh, verse. So based on that, although they may want to do all these crazy things because people are people, they know what their limitations are, okay? So that has been a very critical issue in that development of that culture that, that they, they, they have to do that from that standpoint. So there have been, you know, just on reality, I mean, you know, if you look at the three religions I talk about, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, Islam is the only religion that has had major leaders throughout history that have changed the empire that are African. No other, I mean, let's be for real, no other religion have had those kind of powerful figures who transformed major regions of the world that are African uh, coming from one of the three religions. Why did those guys get to those positions? Because the, the, the religion at its core does not allow for that kind of discrimination. Now, there are people, and there have been a lot of these royal families that really, uh, you know, do not adhere to the classic standards and they're very corrupt and they've had slaves and they do not represent the core of the principles of uh, that theology. So, uh, so what, what I want to say from a larger standpoint, I think all of us intellectual people need to come together, no matter what ethnic background, what color, to really correct these uh, old uh, uh, prejudices to move into a direction that really provides a much more coherent and open way of looking at. Okay, I no, I definitely agree. I mean, we all need each other because we can find where we all get together. Cultures, you know, do great things. I, I was kind of, when you were telling me about the Middle East being a bad word, would Mesopotamia be a better word to use? The same way, to me, Christianity is white supremacy because um, Christianity is nowhere in the scriptures. And I have the Ethiopian Bible, which is the, the oldest um, Bible. And, 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 and so Christianity is where you have white Jesus, where we know Jesus was brown or, you know, um, possibly even darker, black. I, I don't like to get hung up on that because if you worship them, worship them in spirit and in truth, it shouldn't matter. But is Mesopotamia a better word? What word would you like people to use instead of the Middle East? Yeah, so that's an interesting thing. That's later in the book, I'm putting some teasers in for the young generation of the Arab world to come up with ideas for the next uh, generation. I really think, you see, if you are defined by your occupiers, you will never succeed, okay? So watch history. So if you are defined, you know, imagine in the United States, uh, we want to name a city with a Russian name. Nobody's going to accept that, all right? Uh, or we want to name a city uh, by a Chinese name. People are not going to accept that. Say, no, we're America, okay? We're not going to have that name here. So why have the people of the so-called Middle East accepted uh, a, 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 the Middle East term is a colonial term. It came out of London from an office during the occupation of the Arab world. And it was a political term for the occupation, how the France and, and Britain will divide up the Arab lands. It was purely based on politics. So the, the, to bend your knee and accept this term to this day, you will never get out of this. Okay, If you want to go back to your greatness, once you were a great golden age and uh, impacting science and medicine all over the world, you will never get there if you don't shed off this craziness. Okay. 
you got to shut off the colonial influence. The problem in the Arab world is that they have a very unique problem. They have a problem that their leaders are working against them. They are really just, uh, the whole leadership in the Arab world was based on a system that Britain set up where they report to the colonial leaders to keep their populations down. And that is still exists to this day in the majority of the Arab countries. So those Arab leaders, they're not gonna shake up that situation. They don't wanna change the name. They live off this situation. So until the Arab generation, young generation says, listen, we've had enough, uh, this will never change, okay? They have to shake off the colonial past. Uh, in America, we're very proud people. We do not take the names of uh, our uh, people who we have had wars with, uh, people who have our, our adversaries. We will not use those names to name our cities and name our country. Why has the Arab world adhered to that? Because their leaders uh, are work, have worked under a paradigm, which I explain in this book. It's been going on for 100 years. And all these families are connected to that system. That's the only way they can stay in power is to continue that system. So there needs to be a larger change to bring a region uh, to back to when they were not extremists, they were scholars and scientists and they were developing the world. They, you don't get there until you shake off the colonial past. Are there any Arab leaders that you find can make that push because just like in many parts of Africa, you know, it's the leadership has been bought and sold. Like George Carlin said long ago about America, he said, I don't vote because, you know, this country has been bought and sold a long time ago. And so he doesn't vote. But are there any Arab leaders that stick out to you? Because we only hear the negative of when they are acting up. We don't hear about them doing any good. We don't hear about them sending, you know, so many people to college abroad and, you know, people being taken care of and living in safety. We just hear, oh, women can't drive or women are just being allowed to drive. We only hear the negative, as you mentioned earlier. So are there any Arab leaders that you see that can make that push? or have they all kind of sold out because they are billionaires and, you know, wealthy? The truth is, Kellen, they're all sold out. They once in a while do, they need to stay in power. So they keep their people relatively happy, especially the Gulf countries where they have enough money, but they are really only in it for themselves and their families. They could care less about the people under them. It's all lip service that they give. And they know they stay in power because the Western powers keep them in power. The minute uh, that goes away, it's a done deal, okay? This is why when there was this Arab Spring in Egypt with young Egyptians stood up, the uh, countries like Saudi Arabia and the Emirates and with the help of the United States, behind the scenes is squashed very quickly. See, if a big country like Egypt becomes free, the whole thing is over, okay? so. Why was Saudi Arabia and the UAE so interested that never happens in Egypt? It's a different country. But they know once that domino hits, once the people say enough is enough, it's over. So the interest of these families is that that never happens, that democracy truly never takes place in the Arab world. Remember, you're talking about 12 families compared to 415 million people who are living under oppression. 
No other part of the world has that dynamic, okay? You've got 12 families are running this show, okay? And these families are in it for themselves. That's it. They could care less about anyone else under them. So this, uh, all of the, all of that, what we're seeing, when we say this is what the Arabs want to do, this is what Arabs are doing, you're talking about 12 families. You're not talking about the 400 million people, okay? So when you sign a peace agreement with Israel, Israel needs to know. You're not signing that with the Arab countries or Arab people. You are signing that with few sold off leaders who are doing this for their best interest. So the long-term interest of Israel will never be by signing agreements by dictators, strongmen that, that do not represent their people. So this reality has to be told to the American public because you are you know, saying this is what these Arab countries are doing. Well, who are you talking about? You're talking about few men representing few rich families against the wishes of over 400 million people. So you're not talking about what those people think. Those people cannot, I mean, what I'm telling you right now, if you said those words as an Arab living in the Arab world, you would be executed tomorrow. You would be executed tomorrow in public, okay? So, so you cannot treat this problem. So I'm looking at this problem from multiple directions. How the outside has dealt with it, but also inside, what are uh, the legacies of colonialism that still exist today that control that region? And until you get to those root causes, you will never move to a greater peace. And my aim is a greater peace, understanding in a 21st century, I'm a scientist, I'm a surgeon, I want better life for everybody, for all people. I don't discriminate against any human being, but you get there by solving these larger problems. And is there anything in the book to talk about for those leaders who have sold out where they'll say, well, you can just read books like Confessions of an Economic Hitman and I'll be killed if I, you know, buck the system. Is there any solution on that? Because it almost seems like you have to get all parties on in line for this thing to be solved. Um, it's kind of like your surgery, you know, whoever's backing you up, they got to give you your tools for that 19 hour plus surgery that you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the solution to this, Kellen, is the young generation in the Arab world, throughout the Arab world. And many of them, since this book has been uh, uh, reported, have been uh, in touch. And they want, they have been wanting this for generations. They believe their, their fathers really just bent the knee too much. And they live under this, uh, this horrendous, uh, really, control state, just like North Korea. I mean, this is what most of the Arab world is, just to be for real. North Korea is what most of the Arab world is. We just don't look at it that way, okay? It's this young generation. Remember the Americans in uh, 1778 came together against a king who was very, very powerful. And these were average people. And they did what they needed to do. Just like the French, 10, 20 years later, stood against a king that's so powerful. So the... The Arab people are 200 years late, but it's about time to get in the real world. I mean, this is in the book I describe where they come from. Kellen, the numbers we use today come from Arabic. The first civilization in human history came from Mesopotamia, okay? The word algorithms, which we use for, uh, for all computers, 
come from the name algorithm, which is uh, the a scholar who created the concept of algorithms. Okay, so the the whole Renaissance in Europe, which created the modern societies, came from the writings that were translated from Arabic in Spain and Italy. Were translated; they were the basis for the Renaissance. So I'm trying to tell the Arab population: listen. You come from a great background. You have the potential to be great again. You are living in your dark ages. The reason you're living in your dark ages because you have these corrupt leaders who, for them, it's important for you to live in your... See, if the Arab world was advanced and democratic, none of these leaders will have space. They could never survive in that culture. The only way they can survive is for it to stay down, okay? So they need to... It's time for them to wake up, just like Americans woke up in the 1780s and the French after them. It's time to move beyond this uh, this dark age that they have been living for a long time. No, that's that's awesome. That that is, and and hopefully, hopefully, the youth will waken up, be able to shift some things on on all sides with with all the success that you've had. And, you know, I know that you were also on your way to be an all-star football player, soccer for you, those who are in America. Um, you know, what is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Well, you know, Kellen, uh, this book has been a dream for me. And I, if I can make a change, I can make a positive change in America where people really start looking at these issues differently. Same thing in Europe. And in the larger Arab and Muslim worlds to get out of the, uh, the, 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 the control they have been under, to me, that's uh, my biggest dream, you know. And Kevin, I wrote this book uh, to make it easier. It's not a history or a book, a dense book. I watched Hamilton a couple of years ago in New York City. So I decided to write a book like Hamilton. It is a really a fun read, like a play with stories in the background. So if I can use this medium, that first a book comes out, and Kellen, I'm hoping if I can be on the speaking circuit to explain these, these things to people at large and to bring out about a positive change, okay? Uh, bring about the understanding of the history of Africans in America and the great civilizations they came from, and, and to understand how people have evolved differently around the world, to explain uh, what was behind the creation of the Middle East and how it was so nefarious, okay? And to explain to the people of the Arab and Muslim world, you come from a great tradition. You can go back to that. Extremism is not gonna get us anywhere. Crazy terrorists are not gonna get us anywhere. The, the, the dictators are the worst of the worst. They don't represent you or your religion. They are just in it for themselves. It's time to move to a next level that you are capable of doing. It's time to cross those lines when great leaders, uh, American leaders, uh, you know, uh, Lincoln and JFK, it's things people talked about what people can do when they come together. Awesome. And I'm excited to really read that. If you did it like Hamilton, uh, that's one of it my- It is like Hamilton, Kellen, I'm telling you, okay? <laughs> now, now, do you have a plan of maybe making this a play and turning it into- I would love to, Kellen. If this book does well, this is a perfect- either play or a series on Netflix. The stories are unique. They are really cool. And I hope 
if there are producers down the road as the book gets around and people know about it, I cannot wait for this to become a documentary, a play or a series on Netflix. It could really be transformative. It would, it could be transformative. Well, you know, in this world, it- that you can create anything, it seems, and we don't need the the, ma- the majors to give us right. permission and we can put it together. I'm going to send you something via LinkedIn for a Please. conference um, that would be great for you to kind of network and talk with the people that's right here in South Florida that you, you know, it's, it's called the uh, NATPE. But um, yeah, for next, not next year, but the year after, because 2021 is going to be just virtual and it's gonna I, I i just don't like it um but i'm gonna definitely send you something on that i think my last question and this is you asked what type of interview i was going to do beforehand and i really you know would i stump you i want to get your opinion if you have any idea who the real identity of Prometheus Lionheart from Crack the Core. Do you have any idea? And if you're not, you know, because I know you've been in the field, but I'm talking about this book. Many of you, you know, in medical school, whatnot, you guys will, will know this book. Any idea who that author really is? Because he writes a kind of funny story in these <laughs> books where he's always bucking the system. <laughs> no, I do not, uh, Kellen, but I know who the real Lionheart was. Uh, I have a great story about the real Lionheart. His interaction with, with Saladin, it was one of the most beautiful interactions, two honorable gladiators, one Christian, one Muslim, so different than today. Two great men came together, and I just want to end with this story when, uh, with uh, Lionheart, uh, was sick, fell sick during the battle, Salahuddin te- sent his own physician to help him so he could recover. When the Lionheart's horse got injured, Salahuddin sent him two Arabian horses. He said, it's not a fair battle. I'm going to send you my horses. That's what real honor, integrity, and honesty is about. And that's uh, the great interaction between Christianity and Islam. It could be great. Okay, It doesn't need to be crazy like it is today. So this has been great, Kellen. I really have enjoyed. You are a cool interviewer. I loved it. It's, uh, it's been really a fun time. Well, thank you for coming on, you guys. Uh, we will put the link to the book so you can catch it on Amazon or wherever you like to read, buy books. Doctor, I thank you for coming on. Like, share, and subscribe, people. Thank you, Kellen. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifygame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.